This is the Unstoppable Podcast, where we are dedicated to bringing you comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. We hope this podcast will encourage, equip, and empower you with meaningful insight from the Word of God to receive His promises and live a life without limits. As you realize your potential, you will join a dynamic group of passionate people who are actively bringing the unstoppable power of heaven into the darkest places on earth. Here is your host, Justin Self. Today we are continuing our mini-series on missions, um, international missions. This is the second part of the two-part series, and this is also the last episode, official episode of season one. we're really excited. I don't know. This is really cool. Um, the next episode is going to be a behind the scenes um, episode, so you won't want to miss that. Uh, and and I'm just really excited. This is really fun, and God's been doing some cool things with the podcast. So today, um, I wanted to bring in a scripture real quick before we start the the main podcast. And this is something the Lord gave me, I believe, for today's episode. Um, this is in Romans chapter one, and this is Paul talking uh, in verse 16. He says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ." For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. If you study out the book of Romans, you see that that kind of, that statement where I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. um, That verse is kind of the thesis of the book of Romans. It's like the central point of the book of Romans. And I wanted to bring that up today because Uh, you know, Paul was a great missionary and a great apostle. And he went to places where the name of Jesus wasn't named and he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And I just know that when we talk about these missions trips, that kind of is the bottom line where it's like, yeah, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Like what we carry is actually something really powerful. And we carry, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is so powerful in itself. The simple gospel of Jesus is enough to change the world. And so I just want to start that out today that, uh, you know, not to just despise the simplicity of the gospel, that there's so much power in the gospel of Jesus. And when we, when we go to these places and we do things, um, we're carrying the power of God is what it says. It is the power of God to salvation. So anyways, just want to start with that. Um, now today we have a very special guest. Well, I guess that doesn't sound too right for me to say it that way because I'm the special guest. <laughs> so who is doing the hosting? Who is it? Who, who are you? Hey guys, it's me. It's Aaron Patton, Justin's longtime friend and co-Christian. Uh, we have done the gospel all around the world together and also here in our hometown, Vancouver. So I'm so excited to uh, interview you today, Justin, on your missions trip to Kenya, because uh, I know God moved powerfully through you and a lot of lives were touched and uh, the gospel was brought forward into the land. So, you know, I was just thinking about that funny story you told me about going through uh, security on the way home and and getting the conch shell. It's funny because even like the Holy Spirit sometimes works in mysterious ways that aren't spiritual necessarily. It gets you through, get your luggage through. Oh tell, man. Tell us about that. Oh my goodness, dude. Okay. So this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you remember I told you, Oh, actually you remember from Honduras, I tried to get a conch shell back home for Jenny. I tried everything yeah. I could, man. I got this big, you remember big, beautiful conch shell from the, you know, wherever I was. And, uh, 
I made the mistake of trying to take it through my hand, my carry-on luggage. What was I thinking? <laughs> so, so we're in there, and the you know, you remember, I got stopped, and they're like, "Yeah, you can't take this," mm-hmm. you know. And I'm like, "Come on, man!" And he's like, "No." So they took my conch shell, and I went home without a conch shell. So it's been my goal for the last couple of years. Every missions trip I've gone on, I need to get a conch shell for Jenny. So this trip, <clears throat> we saw we saw somebody selling conch shells on the street. And I'm like, Peter, I need a conch shell. You know, I'm gonna do it this time. I'm gonna put it in my check luggage, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna get through. So we buy this conch shell. And um, we ended up ministering to the guy. Actually, he was a Muslim guy. And we ministered to him and prayed for him. It was really cool. Wow. So anyways, so I'm going to the airport. And here I am with my conch shell, safely secured in my checked baggage, right? Not my carry-on. I'm getting smarter. And so I go, I, I go in there. And the, the way the airports work over there, not like it is in the States, where like in the States, you know, it's, there's no security up until after you check your bags, right? So you go in there, you go to the counter, you check your bags and everything, weigh it, whatever, boom, done. You and your check baggage now are not together. Now you go through security, you're off, right? You don't see your check bag again until you arrive at your destination. Well, over there, you go through security multiple times, but the first layer of security goes checks your check bag and your hand carry on. So, so I go into the I go into the airport, and there was three different like conveyor belt, you know, X-ray machine lines. You know, there was one close to me, there was one in the middle, there was one for, way further away. And I just started putting my stuff on the one that was right close to me. It was no big deal. And the security guy comes up to me. It was really weird. And he's like, hey, why don't you go to that one down there? It's open. And I'm thinking, hey, there's like one person ahead of me on this one. Who cares? But I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I take my stuff and I go away. And I'm telling you guys, it was like off in the corner, right? Out of prying eyes, you know? I was off in the corner. So I put my stuff through, you know, put all my little stuff through. And then I put my big stuff on there, including my check bag with my conch shell goes through the x-ray. I'm starting to put on my little stuff, you know, my backpack, my watch, you know, whatever. And I look over and I watch the x-ray screen and I can see my conch shell. And I'm thinking, <laughs> hallelujah. Don't look, you know, don't look. And so she, the, the, the lady, the security lady who's, who's doing it, she looks at it and she's like, um, excuse me, do you have a shell in there? And I'm thinking, not again. Yes, you know? And she's like, I need to see it. Okay. And so I unload all my baggage and stuff, you know, and she's looking at the conch shell and I'm looking at her like, come on, lady, don't you do it. And she's looking at it and she's like, yeah, you can't take this. I'm like, it's decorative. Oh, you know? man. It's for my wife, come on. And she's like, no, you can't take this. And I'm th- my, my heart's sinking. I'm like, again, come on. And so uh, actually, yeah, I'll, I'll not tell anybody where this was at for the record. I'll just say it was an airport somewhere. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Although, <laughs> oh, no. Y'all probably know where it is. Anyways. Yeah, don't turn me in. So anyways, I'm like, I'm like talking to her and I, I, I looked at her and I was like, lady, it's for my wife. I've, I've tried this before. It didn't get through. I'm, I'm putting it in my checked baggage. I'm not going to like kill anybody with a conch shell. Like, give me a break, you know? So, so she's like, hmm. She walks away for a second and I'm thinking, what's up? And so she comes back and she's like, well, I, I'd love to help you out, but you know, I could, I'm risking my job and I'm like, Okay, like, where's this going? Anyway, all I'm going to say is that from that point on, uh, there was a there was a deal that may or may not have taken place, and I may or may not have gotten my conch shell home to the States safe and sound, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it may or may not have cost me a little bit, but it's all well. Transaction. And I'm just going to say that, uh, you know, praise God, he... he he got my he got my conch shell. Now it's funny because before this incident, I was actually praying about it. I was like, "Lord, I really want my conch shell. Can you make that happen?" And I'm not kid- kidding you guys. God is my witness. 
he speaks to my spirit and he goes, don't worry, I've got it. So mm. I, I knew that going into this. And so, so this whole good. situation, I'm just like, oh no, but God said he got it, but like, what's going on? So anyways, so that's the story behind the conch shell. <laughs> that is hilarious. I remember the first time in Honduras, the guy put it on his hand and he was like, this could be a weapon. And he's holding it up in the air. Well, the thing looked like a medieval weapon with all the spikes on it. I did. It looked like, (laughs) was the one that you got in Kenya bigger than that one? This one's even worse. (laughs) This one's like a spear. (laughs) Oh my goodness. It could have done some serious damage. Praise God. Man, I'm telling you, man, even the small things, man, we're protected. So, so Jenny's got her conch shell. My career in, I should say buying, not, I shouldn't use another word here, but buying shells overseas might be over. I think I, I'm going to end on a winning note. <laughs> You'll have to find something new to smuggle in. Don't use that word. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like for you as a full-time dad, full-time husband, with everything that you do in life, what's it like for you to leave your family, uh, leave your pregnant wife, and travel across the world to a different country uh, to share the gospel? I, I would say this trip in particular was different in that regard where all the other trips I've done and those types of things have had relatively low cost, opportunity cost associated with them. You know, um, getting, getting up and leaving when you're single isn't hard <laughs> uh, really compared to these types of things. And the first time I went to Kenya, uh, I was married and uh, Caleb was a young boy. But things were, again, the season was different. So so you're right about this season um, being much more difficult. Um, I would say at the, at the bottom line to that answer is I, I heard from God. Like I knew that I heard from God about this trip. And so it wasn't difficult in that regard, even though there was more things at stake. Like, yeah, I mean, leaving in the middle of a pandemic and going across the world and doing all these things and jumping through all these hoops, there was a lot more cost, I think, associated with that leaving my family behind and managing the logistics of, you know, you're right, Jenny's pregnant and, you know, not feeling well and, you know, certain things and needing help with Caleb and all these types of things. Like there's the logistics of all that. But at the end of the day, I knew I heard from God. I had spent the time listening to the Lord, spending time in prayer. And I had basically gotten to the point where I was completely fully convinced that I had heard God speak to me about going on this trip and, uh, and then I just, that, that just was the bottom line for it. And so, and, and, and getting into unity, you know, Jenny and I got into unity about this trip and we just managed the logistics and my, my parents came down to help Jenny and, and watch Caleb and do things and, and it worked out. But at the bottom line, it could have been hard if I was doing it in my own strength, but because I had committed myself to hear from the Lord about it uh, and, and really heard from him, really knew that I heard from him, it made those things a piece of cake. Uh, and of course, Jenny being on board and being in unity uh, was, was extremely important to the trip. So, How do you posture your heart when there are so many outside factors? I, I can just think of people even listening saying like, well, I could never do something like that because I've got to take care of you know, my job or my cat or my plants are going to wilt or like, so focused on the things. How do you position your heart so that you just trust God for all of those things being taken care of? Yeah. For me, it's 
time with him? Uh, I know that's a really simple, maybe broad answer, but I just, I make it my goal to cultivate quiet time with the Lord every single day, you know, whether I'm facing something difficult or facing a situation where I need his guidance, you know, or not, if it's just a Tuesday, you know, I, I just maintain a constant posture where I'm spending time with him in the quiet place, listening to him. And I usually ask him, okay, Lord, like, what do I need to do? Like, what, what do you have for me today? Or what, what are some things I should be thinking or praying about, you know, and just kind of maintaining a constant attitude. Um, and, and, and that posture you're mentioning comes through intimacy. Uh, I'm just spending that time every day. I mean, and I call it personally, it's like an internal mantra. It's, you know, in times of peace and in times of war. In fact, I've told you before, Aaron, privately that I would rather, I would rather spend more time with the Lord in my, in, in times of peace uh, than in times of war. Meaning I don't want to just have my relationship with God uh, spike or, you know, I don't want to spend more time with him when I really, really need something. I want to spend more time with him when I'm succeeding and things are going well. And it's like, I don't, I don't have some crisis. Like I want to be, I want my, so, so, so I'm, I'm preparing my heart constantly. And so when you ask, you know, how do you posture yourself? For me, it's, it's not like a one day posture. It's like a lifestyle. It's like, I'm going to posture myself every day to hear from the Lord. And, and in that context, when I do hear from him about something like this, um, again, at the bottom line, I know he's in it. And so then I just, I look at all those other things as secondary, as easy. I mean, I find people to watch my plants. I had to do that. You mentioned the plants wilting. We had, we live on the coast and we had to have our house tented, which for those of you who don't know what that means, they literally come and bring what looks like a circus tent and they cover your whole house and they fumigate it with deadly poison and you have to be out of the house for three days and they have to run tests and do all these things before you can come in. Man, you got to bag up your food with the special bags and double bag it. And it's just, I did that the day before I left. <laughs> like we had to go through all this crazy stuff and bag up everything in our house and prepare for tenting. And so the logistical nightmare for somebody getting ready to leave on, a, on an overseas trip, you know, just to pack up your whole house and get it ready. And Jenny had to go and go somewhere else. And but all that stuff, uh, the logistics took care of themselves, right? Like at the end of the day, I know I'm repeating myself, but I heard from God, I'm going to be obedient to his word. I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to, I'm going to believe him to help me take care of the logistics. I still have to do the work, but he's going to help provide the people to watch the plants or he's going to help provide, you know, the people to watch the cat or whatever. Yeah. And I think I have the word and how it says, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and, everything will be taken care of and how, you know, when you do seek him in those times of peace um, instead of just the crisis moments or when you're like, God, I need you because my cars ran out of gas or whatever. Like when you seek him first, then he takes care of those crisis moments or, or even this not necessarily a crisis. He takes care of, you know, babysitters supernaturally sending parents down to help watch out the kid, watch for the kids or so. Yeah, that's really cool. How did you physically prepare spiritually, mentally? I know you said spend time in his presence, but was there a, like, was there a physical aspect? Did you exercise, work out a bunch or like, like how do you prepare for that type of missions trip in that idea? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I remember from, back when our, our Honduras trip, they recommended that we drink water like like there's no tomorrow for two weeks leading up to going to Honduras. And that has always stuck with me. And so I physically, that's what I did. I just drank water like, like nobody's business. Um, I went out and I got the best probiotics I could get. 
just started taking those things and getting my gut prepared. I started working out more, you know, or at least as consistently as I could, <laughs> um, running or, you know, whatever, just to get my body ready. Because last thing I want is to go on a missions trip and for my body to break down or something, you know, and get sick and screw around with all this stuff. And I got stuff to do. But again, times of peace, times of war, like, yeah, I was kind of amping it up for the trip, but this is nothing that I wouldn't be doing anyway. I want to run the race here in my own town, in my own house, in my own lifestyle. I want to run this race with endurance. And so keeping my body healthy and my sleep patterns and keeping myself hydrated, these are all things that I want to maintain because in my mind, I'm on mission 24-7. Me leaving for a missions trip doesn't mean I'm suddenly on mission and then when I come back, I'm off mission. I know that I'm not trying to take it down a rabbit trail, but I guess I'm trying to say it's a lifestyle. And for me, this missions trip was just a thing. It was just another thing to do and I was trusting God and it was a special assignment, but it wasn't like I was becoming someone else, you know, I'm just obeying him. And God spoke to me about going to Kenya in this particular hour. And I'm going to say yes to it. and I'm going to do it. And to me, it was no different than him saying, Hey, uh, I'm asking you to, you know, why don't you go to the church early and help set up or something like it's to me, it's the same thing um, mentally and emotionally. Um, But yes, I did have to prepare physically for sure, because it's no joke traveling. 30, uh, 37 hours is how long it took me to travel to get there. So, and 36 on the way home. So no joke, just for the travel. (laughs) Now you had, uh, mentioned the Lord speaking to you about going, but that my next thought question is, did God give you any, uh, specific words or directions, uh, for this trip? Uh, to Kenya, did, did you have like an assignment you knew you had to do? Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Um, specifically, he gave me the plan of uh, of ministering to the leaders. So it wasn't that we weren't going to minister or preach the gospel to unbelievers. Like that definitely happened. But the the thrust of this trip, I mean, the the special mission of this trip, if you will, was literally to go in kind of under the radar a little bit, which we did, and um, and minister to the pastors and the leaders and those who are in, in positions of authority and leadership, and primarily to the people inside the church. Now, we did, and I can share this in a moment. I'm sure uh, you have a question about that, but we did minister to some Muslim leaders as well. But the point was, is really a multiplicative multiplicative, whoa, <laughs> exponential growth. That was the plan, you know, is to minister to the leaders and and really encourage them. And uh, really actually what the Lord spoke to me specifically was he said to teach them and to show them what God's last day's church looks like. That's what Mm. he said to me. And so as I prayed on that and I received revelation on that, uh, he spoke to me about, you know, signs and wonders and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And basically uh, coming in and encouraging the churches to flow in these things and to really a sense of urgency and also, to, and, and again, this is what I believe God is doing all over the whole earth right now is, minister, is ministering to our churches right now. The body of Christ saying, guys, get ready. You know, Jesus is, is coming back soon. And this is a time in an hour where the world is falling into such darkness and despair, even more than ever before, not just in Kenya and not just in America, not just in Europe, but all over the place. And his church needs to be ready. You know, we need to be able to stand. I mean, COVID is a big thing, but there's going to be bigger things that the, the scripture prophesies that these things are going to come hot and heavy at the end of the age. And I believe we're stepping into these areas where we're going to see more and more of these things happen. So the church needs to be prepared and ready and not just mentally ready, but man, let's flow in the power of the Holy Spirit 
Let's walk in the power of God, right? So that was kind of the general theme and message of, of, of the trip. You're so spot on. I think that more and more, as we see the signs of the times coming, you know, he is preparing his church. He is preparing his bride. He's preparing the leadership to even more than ever equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Right. So um, for people that want to live this lifestyle or want to even go on a missions trip, let's just get in a little bit into your story, the beginning, and let's just start there from the airplane. What happened? Because, you know, we've talked several times before, like it doesn't start when you're in Kenya. It starts the basically the moment you get into the airport, God wants to do something. So let's start there. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm, I'm taken back to you and me and our, our mission trip to Honduras years ago, man. We ministered to somebody on the plane. You know, there's a guy sitting across the aisle and he had um, plates in his, in his wrist. You know, we, we prayed for him and saw him healed instantly. You know, it was really cool. And so I had that mindset in this trip as well. I was like, okay, Lord, I'm here. I mean, let's let's do it, whatever you need. And so I find myself sitting next to a Muslim woman on the on a 13-hour flight from San Francisco to Istanbul. And we just talked and talked and like she just, you know, it was surface talk for a while, but at some point, I don't know, it just was awesome. The Holy Spirit was there and just directed the conversation. And it really started with relationships and marriage and just stuff like that. And I don't know, it just was such a powerful conversation about covenant relationships and just like, she was talking to me about commitment and I, and I just had this crazy word. I was like, no, the way that, you know, God designed us for relationship, um, you know, with our spouse is not just commitment. I said, it's covenant. And I took off my ring and I was like, do you know why the ring is, is round a circular, you know? And she's like, I don't know. Is this a trick question? You know? And I just, I was like, it's cause the covenant is never supposed to end. You know, like it just goes around in a circle forever. Like it's never supposed to end. And we, so we just kind of had this conversation about marriage and covenant and eventually things turned toward the Lord. And I just was able to minister to her about my relationship with Jesus and just how much I love him and just our, our personal relationship. And I hear him and he hears me and we just have this thing and, you know, covenant and just the covenant of God. And then uh, we just, it was cool because she was like, well, I'm Muslim. And I'm like, well, okay, I know, <laughs> you know, you can tell because the, the head coverings, you know, but like, it kind of had an opportunity to get awkward. And I just looked at her and I said, Hey, I really want you to know, I appreciate the fact that we can talk about stuff and we can, we can disagree, but we can do so agreeably. Like, and I told her, I said, it's more important to me that we're just connecting as people and that we're talking. And again, we're talking about the Lord. How awesome is that? Even though we disagree, like it's okay. And so it really helped bring her guard down. Cause I think she's so used to, you know, Christians and Muslims, you know, just having this battle the whole time. But just like your trip to Jordan, Aaron, like when you were talking about your taxi driver, just loving people and bringing them into an encounter. And it totally broke down the walls. And I just remember at the end of the conversation, it was so cool. She, you could see her eyes were like welling up, you know, I mean, there was emotion. She just looked at me and she was like, whatever you have, I want that, mm-hmm. you know? And she just was very, very passionate. And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's my relationship with Jesus, you know? And, and she wasn't like, it wasn't like one of these like Hollywood moments or something where she, you know, receives Jesus as her Lord right there and renounces everything. It wasn't like that, but it made a mark and it made an impact. Mm-hmm. And I believe I did what the Holy Spirit had me to do in that moment. And I believe my, my steps were ordered. So even on the plane, having encounter, it was awesome. That is amazing. So you have a layover in Istanbul, then you travel 
into Kenya. When you landed in Kenya, could you sense spiritually a different environment in the land? Could you could you just tell like, okay, I'm no longer in America where on the dollar it says in God we trust and, you know, we're free to believe what we want and live how we want. But now you're in Kenya, you're in a different uh, principality, power area. Tell us about that. Yeah, you can definitely feel um, the movement in the spiritual realm. And definitely, uh, even even when I got on the plane in Istanbul and I started heading down towards Kenya, I could feel things shifting. And certainly landing in Nairobi was like, oh man, we're not in Kansas anymore, you know? And of course I've been there before. And so there's a lot of familiarity, but still you just feel this oppression. And a lot of it has to do with just the principalities and powers um, and just kind of what's going on in the spiritual realm. Um, you know, people are born as Muslims, basically. They're, they're born into that family, and so they're Muslim. Or they're born into a Christian family, so that means they're Christian. Um, and there's just so much oppression, religious and spiritual oppression. Um, yeah, I could definitely feel it. And it, even as we traveled to the northern coast of Kenya, um, near the Somalia border, and also to the south, near Tanzania, you can feel differences in the spiritual realm as well. And so, for me, it gives me something to pray into. Um, it just kind of helps keep me sharp and aware, you know, both in the physical and also in the spiritual, just in prayer. But at the end of the day, knowing that I'm protected, I'm walking in the power of God and I have to be safe and careful and wise, but I know that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And you, you feel it, like you feel his presence more. I know you mentioned this on your podcast that we did about Jordan, that you feel the Lord's presence. And you just, when you're overseas like that in these other environments, you are it's almost like you're just more aware of his enveloping presence around you and his protection. And I know we have it here in the States and I need it just as much going to the coffee shop as I do in Kenya. You know, I need that protection. I need protection. I need angelic protection over my car, you know, but over there <laughs> it's just much more apparent because it seems like there's so many more opportunities that you could uh, get in trouble with. So definitely um, there was spiritual oppression on the Northern side, like I said, towards the border of Somalia. Um, and we saw some cool things happen there. So when you landed, what was the first thing that you did? First thing I did was praise God that my QR codes from COVID worked. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> guys, I'm telling you, we had to go through so many. This one guy, uh, I think it was actually when I landed in Melindi. This, that's the um, my final my final uh, airport of four air, four four flights later. You know. He's like, okay, can I see your QR code? And man, I had just traveled for 36 hours. I was, I had hardly slept. And I'm like, which QR code, man? I got four of them. <laughs> and I just pulled out one of them and he scanned it and I moved on. Like I was just praising God that I got there. Uh, pastor Peter was there with some other pastors to meet me. And it was funny because the, the whole theme of the trip was called winds of change, mm. winds of change. And we get there and like, it was wind like they wouldn't, like they've never seen before. It was super windy. It was raining sideways. I mean, it was like a, I don't know what you call it on that part of the world, but it was like a monsoon or a typhoon or something. I mean, it was gnarly. And they were like, this is not normal. What's going on? And then as soon as we got in the car to leave the airport, it died down and it was perfectly fine. So that was kind of mm. cool. Kind of a sign and a wonder. Did you feel like on this trip, you 
were busy? You had uh, several different places to go to, or was it kind of a more relaxed, just being led by the spirit from day to day? Or uh, what was Pastor Peter's agenda for you? Yeah, he had a pretty tight agenda. I mean, we we had, uh, I had speaking engagements every day, you know, little did I know that I was the guest speaker at every event, every single day, <laughs> praise the Lord. Uh, so I got any, any kind of reservations I had about like preparing a message and, and preaching in front of crowds of people. Those had to get out of the way. Cause I, man, I was like, <laughs> here we are, our guest from North America, our guest all the way from California, you know? And so I just was like, they rolled out the red carpet. Um, I think I spoke at, uh, eight, I either spoke at eight, I think I spoke eight different times at like six different venues or something like that. Um, over a seven, basically what was eventually, what was it? What was a seven day trip? And, uh, so it was, it was busy in that regard and a lot of output, but also I had more rest time, um, than I had ever had. Like most days, um, probably five out of the seven days I had, uh, the mornings off, like the whole morning until like 10 o'clock or even nine o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, I had totally off. And so I could rest, spend quiet time and prepare and do things. So that was really, really healthy for me to be able to have that downtime. And then other days we would just, you know, be in the van driving for three hours so I could have quiet time in the van. Um, but it was really healthy, but we were busy. <laughs> Man, we were busy. I'm telling you right now, we were, we were getting it done we saw some fruit. We saw some things happen. So now, there was a story that uh, we had talked about when you and I were personally talking about the, the service where you thought it was just a meeting, like a round table with Christians and Muslims. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about how that went and, and just how God spoke to you specifically in that meeting? Yeah, that's one of my favorite stories from this trip. Um, I just remember on the drive in, I'm talking to Peter and I had nothing prepared, you know, and I was like, hey, Peter, uh, what, what are we doing here? Is this like a, a community meeting or what? Because all I knew at that point was that we were going to be, our team was going to be meeting with Christian and Muslim leaders and we were going to be discussing peace or unity or something, right? So I thought it was like a round table. And I said, hey, should I have something prepared? You know, he's like, uh, that probably would be a good idea, but I think we'll just be talking. And I'm like, okay. And so I just am sitting there in the van and I'm just praying and I'm like, okay, Lord, um, you know, show me a prophetic word and give me, a, give me something for this. And so the Lord gave me a picture of a man, a Muslim man wearing a white hat. And it's like one of those traditional Muslim hats, if you've ever seen one that go on their, you know, their traditional outfit with the gown and everything. But I just saw a man with a hat. And so the Lord gave me a very specific word for this man about business and leadership and some things that he was going to do in his life. So I just, you know, wrote my, wrote my notes down. And, and then after that, I just had a scripture and it was the, uh, it was basically a Bible story. Um, about the four lepers who were outside the city of Samaria. And this was during the siege when the Syrians were, you know, had besieged Samaria and they were dying of starvation and, you know, that whole story, I believe it's in second Kings. And um, so that's all I had going into this thing. And I was like, okay, well, Peter said, we'll be talking. So maybe I won't even need any of this. So I get there and it's a Christian church, but it's on a military base, which is kind of cool. And this, again, the, for context, we had to drive several hours to the north, like three and a half hours to the north. And so we are at this point about 100 kilometers or less from the Somalia border, which if you know anything about that part of the world, that's where there's major activity with Al-Shabaab terrorist organizations. And in fact, we were on the road where Al-Shabaab will come into Kenya. I mean, I, I was on that road. I saw where that road goes into the jungle. That's the jungle where they would smuggle people in and out 
for terrorist activities and they take children and smuggle them and train them and just crazy gnarly stuff, man. I was there. I saw that road. I saw the jungle. Oh, it was just so crazy. And we saw military vehicles going up and down that road looking for terrorists. I mean, it was the real deal. So we're up there on a military compound, praise God. And we get in there and it's a church and there's like 40 or 50 people in there. And I just, re- I just remember stepping into that room and feeling the weirdest feeling I've ever felt uh, in a church service. It was like hard and quiet and uneasy and nobody was talking. Everybody was just like sitting there quietly looking straight ahead. And so we go up there, you know, we sit down and I'm like, Peter, what's going on? Like, what, what's up with this weird atmosphere? And he looks at me and he goes, oh, how, you know, about a third of these people are Muslim leaders. Like there's imams in there. There was even a sheikh of the, of like one of the mosques, like the top Muslim guy of the air of one of these areas was there. Um, and then he said about, you know, the other two thirds are Christian pastors and leaders and even a few missionaries. And there's just been a lot of tension in these areas between the two groups. And so there's a lot of tension in the room. And I came to find out later that when they were setting up this meeting and inviting these people, the host pastor at this church told, um, told the person who was setting this thing up, he said, go ahead and invite all these leaders that you're talking about. Go ahead and invite the imams, go ahead and invite the sheikh, invite whoever you want. But he's like, I'm telling you, no one's going to come. It's never been done like that in this area. There's never been a meeting where you've had both these Christian pastors, leaders, and these Muslim leaders in the same room at the same time, especially at a Christian church and especially to hear a Christian pastor preaching. It's not going to happen. Well, we showed up and there's 40 or 50 people there, man. And so we get into it and, and sure enough, you know, and here I am thinking, Hey, wait, this is starting to look like a church service and not a round table. Sure enough, they introduced me as the guest speaker. And I'm thinking, Oh, Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. What are we going to do? You know? (laughs) And so I get up there and, and all I had was my prophetic word. Actually during, let me back up during the preparation time when they were like introducing people, uh, I was, I, I was listening to the Lord and he gave me about four or five other prophetic words, which was pretty cool. And so I get up and I start speaking and I just, the way I've been doing it on this trip, my modus operandi on this whole trip was before I even introduced myself, which is very against culture. You know, you, they're, they're really big into the introductions, you know, before I even introduced myself, I started out with a prophetic word again, like I, like I shared in the beginning, it's, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus for it is the power of God unto salvation. I couldn't convince these people that the Bible is more relevant than the Quran with words, but I can bring the power of the Holy Spirit that can convict their hearts and actually make a work happen in their hearts, right? The power. So I started out with a prophetic word and I, I started out with this man with the white hat and I asked him respectfully if it was okay. By the way, there was only one guy in that whole room that had the white hat. There was a bunch of Muslim leaders in there, a bunch of guys and praise God, only one of them had a white hat on. I don't know what I would have done if there was five or six of them that had a white hat. Probably would have had them all stand up, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So I asked him and he said, yeah, it's okay. So this guy stood up to receive this word and I just shared this word with him. And man, I'm telling you, I shared that word with him and something happened in the spirit. The, The atmosphere just shifted and people just like, it must've been right on. I mean, it was a, it must've been a bullseye right on word. It was awesome for me to even see it unfold because people just suddenly got receptive. The walls came down, the atmosphere shifted. I started preaching away that story about the lepers. I didn't tell anybody it was in the Bible. I didn't even bring my Bible up to the stage. You know, I just was telling them like it was, a, I said, well, you know, there, um, let me tell you a story. There was once four, four men who were sick, you know, and I totally beat around the bush. 
But I told them the story and the Holy Spirit partnered with me in such a way. It was so cool. Just talking about unity and talking about partnership and all this type of stuff. Man, that meeting ended with people getting healed. I mean, we called out people and they got healed. I, I gave out five or six prophetic words. Holy Spirit highlighted people to me and it was just so cool. And um, a lot of these Muslims, you know, uh, received prayer, which was crazy. They stayed throughout the whole time. And um, man, it was cool. Uh, Aaron, I think I told you that right in the middle of the message, man, I'm preaching away. And then suddenly the Muslim call to prayer goes off, <laughs> you know, right in the middle of the message. Wow. And if you know, those of you listening, if you haven't ever heard it, man, it's just to the American ear, it is the weirdest sound you've ever heard. The Muslim. And if you're right, if you're right next to it, yeah. it is so loud. Yeah. So in the mosques, they have like these loudspeakers and, you know, they just like sing, you know, oh, it just sounds like this really weird, eerie sound. And they do it five times a day because the Muslims are supposed to pray five times a day. And you're supposed to stop whatever you're doing, turn, face Mecca and pray. So this thing goes off and there must've been a mosque really close by because man, this thing was loud. And I just stopped for a second and I'm like, oh man what do I do? You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. I just didn't want to dishonor these guys, but I also was like, I just didn't know what to do. It was crazy. So I stopped for about a second or two in shock. And then I was just like, well, I'm just going to keep preaching. So I just kept going with my message. And the crazy part is that one lady got up and left. Muslim lady got up and left, but about five or 10 minutes later, she came back in. So she must've gone and prayed, I assume, but she came back in, but none of the other people got up and left. That is crazy. Wow. These people are in a Christian church. They hear the call to prayer go off and they didn't get up and leave. They stayed and listened to a Christian person preaching. They told me later that the, the Christian people of the area told me, they approached me afterwards. They said, we've never seen this happen before. That's just unprecedented. For them to come in, number one, for them to stay and not walk out when you started preaching, number two, that was crazy. And then number three, they were, they were just all blown blown away by the fact that these people stayed through the call to prayer. So we're just thanking God. I'm just praising God that, you know, he allowed me to be part of what he is doing in that area. I know God's doing something very powerful in that area and it ministered to a lot of the leaders. And we've, I've, I've been hearing reports back from um, people that have attended that meeting and man, things are just on fire in a good way. People are on fire for the Lord leadership things. There's connections that are happening. I mean, God is faithful. So it was pretty cool. That was a really cool thing to be a part of. So I want to know from your perspective, how is Kenya spiritually different from the United States or, or even, you know, we've been to Honduras years ago, but like, what do you sense is, is different between a nation all the way around the world versus the United States? Cause I, people here probably listening are thinking like, well, you know, I've never seen a manifestation or I've never seen, you know, even a physical healing. What, what makes the two areas different? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it's kind of like the age old question. Well, why are we seeing miracles in Africa? We're not seeing them here in the States, you know? And I think at the end of the day in Africa, you see people uh, just sitting around a lot of the time. They have a lot of time. They have the one thing that Americans don't have. They have time. <laughs> they, they walk. I mean, some of them walk miles for water. And so they have a lot of quiet time to, to contemplate and to think. And a lot of them over there are so destitute 
it really is the reality over there. They're so destitute of even the most basic thing. I mean, I saw people scooping water out with a measuring cup, scooping water out of a divot in the highway, scooping rainwater out to use for their food. Not everybody over there is, is in abject poverty, but there is a very prevailing mindset. So spiritually, there is this oppressive poverty mentality. There is this spirit of poverty over the area. And people are extremely aware of their lack and their inadequacy. And so I believe that that, and again, um, they're, they're aware of their lack and their inadequacy. And so they're, they're looking for something more to help and to bring in life. They're looking for life. Over here, we have, I mean, you, you could think that you have everything you need. It's very easy to think that you have everything you need because the resources are everywhere. I mean, I can get on my phone and within 10 seconds, probably, I could order whatever I want on Amazon, you know, and it could be here in a day or two. It's like that, that is not a mindset that they have in Kenya, you know, or in some of these other, the other nations. They, they have to, a lot of them, um, most of them believe in God. There, there's very few people that you would say don't believe in God. Like, I don't think that's even a thing in most places over there. Like the Muslims, it's, it's like the Muslims definitely believe in Allah. Christians believe in God. People are looking to a higher power over there regularly. Whereas over here, you could get along without believing there is a God. You could say that you don't believe in God and get along just fine and do things and have all your needs met. Whereas over there, they're very aware of their lack. They're very aware of their, their need. And so they're, they're asking the Lord for things. Um, we went into, into some areas where witchcraft was extremely prevalent. And, it's, and even the Christians were going to the witch doctors in this area because of the results. People need, I mean, they can't just go down to Rite Aid and get the medicine. I mean, these people are, if you get sick, man, you better, you better be trusting in something beyond the natural realm. Otherwise you're done. And so there's just a higher level, I think, of spiritual awareness over there, for better or for worse. They're very aware of Satan's power over there. People even, I mean, it's just crazy to think that most people over there are very aware of the demonic. They're very aware of the demonic. And yet, you know, people get healed off the demonic. <laughs> they do, they sell their souls. They do things. I mean, it's just a totally different culture. So, so when we come in with the power of God, they're more receptive to the prophetic words but it hits them differently. They're like, whoa, this is definitely something spiritually powerful that we're, you know, we're not, we're not new to spiritual power, but this is something that feels light, feels life-giving, feels holy, feels good, feels wonderful. The, the Lord's speaking words of encouragement to me. You know, those types of things point these people towards, um, towards Jesus. Now, Aaron, you mentioned last time in your podcast, the man in white. First time I was in Kenya, we had an encounter with a person who a Muslim lady who had seen the man in white. Jesus had walked into her dreams and we were able to interpret and minister to her and she received Jesus Christ, you know? Um, so these people are just, uh, they're more aware, I think. And so they're more receptive. Whereas over here, hey, man, I got everything I need. Why do I need God? Why do I need religion? Man, I got everything I need. I got Amazon, <laughs> you know? There's more to it than that, I think, but that's just my impression. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see what you're saying, you know, with uh, why do you need God for physical healing when you can go to the doctor here or uh, you can take a pill, you can take a supplement. They're right at, 
right at your fingertips, like you said, at Walgreens or Walmart, or, or even I've, I've had the opportunity to, to pray for people for healing over here. And they say, no, don't pray for me. I get my benefits because of this, you know, I get my state subsidies yeah, or I get, I've you know, certain, certain income be- from the government because of this disability. And it's just a different uh, worldview, different mindset. But let's talk about some of the people that are listening, that have a heart to go onto the mission field, to, to be even short-term missions. What word of wisdom can you, can you give them to help them past some of these things in the States, the mindsets or the, uh, the culture that is here that can help them prepare for uh, missions that can prepare them to go see those atmospheres and environments. What's, what's some wisdom you can give? I, I highly recommend, I know, I know you would as well, Aaron, I highly recommend every single Christian in the States go on a missions trip, go on at least one, do a short-term missions trip. It'll, it'll, it'll make an impact on the culture, of course, but man, it will, you will come back richer. You will come back with such an a, incredible experience and a, and just a tangible experience from the Lord, um, experiencing Him in those other places, is what I love. I love that. I enjoy that. That's the advent- part of the adventure is coming back and being like, "Man, I saw God provide for me in a way I never thought possible." You know, or you see people that are living worse off than you, and you just get thankful. And it's something I believe you can only walk away with um, from that experience. So, what I would say to prepare is uh, just, I would just say. Uh, Look for opportunities and pray about it. First of all, if it's something that you're interested in, um, you know, you need to act in wisdom to finding like when to go, where to go, with whom to go, how long to go. And like we talked about at the beginning, you know, some, how to handle some of the logistics with your family. I mean, I told Jenny early on in my, this trip, I said, Jenny, I'm not going on this trip if I can't, uh, if, if God doesn't provide someone to come and help you out or, you know, take care of things at home with Caleb. And I mean, I'm not going to, up and leave without the logistics getting taken care of. So we have to be mindful of that. We can't be so hyper-spiritual that we say, well, I've heard from God, I'm going to go on a missions trip and I'm just going to leave my family behind and let them fend for themselves. No, man, we got to take care of our family. We got to take care of business. We got to be wise. So I would say definitely take the wisdom into into, uh, consideration. But on the other side of that, don't get so bogged down in the logistics and the, the human wisdom part that you're afraid to step out. Man, you got to step out in faith and do some things that are going to be hard and scary. For here's an example. Missions trips are expensive. They're not cheap. They cost lots of money, thousands of dollars. It just it is what it is. But the the hardest thing you'll probably do is believe God for the money to go. Probably. You know, let's say you look at the tickets and all this that the other and you're like, "Man, this tick, this trip's going to cost me $2,000." And let's say you don't have $2,000 just sitting there for a missions trip fund, which hardly anyone does. You're going to have to believe God for that money. You're going to have to believe God that he's going to provide that for you in such a way that it's not going to damage your personal finances and put you out and, and make you and your family starve. You've just got to, but you've got to take this with wisdom. You've got to trust God with it. And God will provide for you your daily sustenance and he'll provide for you the means to get on the trip. And so, my encouragement is just to, um, you know, to pray about it, to hear from the Lord about it and say, Lord, there's this, my church is doing a trip to Israel or my trip is doing a, or my, my church is doing a trip to, you know, Costa Rica or whatever in the spring or summer. Is this, should I be on that trip? 
and spend the time and get your confirmation from the Lord, you know, and really seek him out on where, you, which one you should go on. And then when you hear from him and you really feel like you're supposed to be on that trip, you're going to start facing some hard things. And my encouragement to you is to, um, to stay with the Lord, stay in intimate time with him and really get the assurance that you should be on that trip. And then you're going to have to face some battles as far as believing God for the finances, believing God for the logistics. But again, like I said in the beginning, if you have it really strongly in your spirit that you're going to go and you're supposed to go and all that, um, that will be your bedrock and that will be your foundation for, for believing God for the rest of it. Cause you'll say, man, I really believe God's spoken to me. He's going to cover me. And then you can step out in faith in these other areas and he'll be faithful to complete it. He always is. So there's some practical stuff there. <laughs> That's so good. And, and I, I think you would even uh, agree with me when I say, you know, Jesus was clear to, to start where you're at. Don't just get so focused on where you're going that you forget about the person in Walmart with a knee brace or you, you, you know, we have to prepare our hearts, our, our minds, our, our spirits for when we get onto the mission field. And, and one of the best ways we can do that is just by being Jesus to our neighbor right in front of us here in the United States. Right. That's such a good point, Aaron. I mean, man, we, some of us might feel like, man, I'm called to Africa. I'm called to wherever. And you got these big dreams, you know, but you're not being faithful where you're at. I'm here to tell you, anybody listening, if you can't be faithful where you're at in your own community, you're not going to be faithful in another country. I'm, I'm, I know that's hard, but I'm telling you, it, it sounds great to go to Kenya. It sounds great to see all these people born again and see the miracles happen. And it is great. But the way you get there is you start where you're at. That's why Jesus talked about being faithful in Jerusalem right? And in all of Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. We need to go to the ends of the earth. It's part of the great commission. That's our job. But you notice he started with where you're at. Be faithful with your church. Be faithful with ministering to people here when you have an opportunity. Start right now by listening to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, who should I minister today? Do you have somebody for me today? Should I call someone? Should I text somebody? Do I need to have a coffee meeting with that person? You know, Start being faithful with the relationships and the influence that he's given you here. And then he'll trust you with some greater things. That's a great point, Aaron. That's absolutely 100% where we need to be, being faithful with where we are and what he's given us first. And then we can be trusted with the greater things. Yeah, amen, Justin. Hey, let's wrap this up by just giving a prayer um, to the, just let's pray for people out there who have a heart for missions, who have a heart even just to start walking forward and what God has for their life right now in America. Would you mind just uh, praying us out? Absolutely. So Father God, we just thank you and praise you um, for everyone listening today, whether they're listening in the car or, you know, as they go about their business, Lord, I just thank you that you're touching people right now. You're speaking into their hearts right now. And you've been speaking to them through this podcast about missions and about, you know, what's next for them and all these types of things. And we just want to call those things out, Lord, in Jesus name. We thank you and praise you, Father, for the callings and the giftings and the futures that you have for all of us listening today, that you have a plan for us. You have a purpose for us. Um, you didn't make us to, to just do life and, and muddle through and survive. You made us for a purpose. You made us to influence other people, to bring life to other people, to be the leaders of our families and to do things. And Father, we just thank you and praise you for every single calling, every anointing, every vocational 
gifting um, on the people that are listening today. And so, Father, we just thank you and praise you that, um, you know, as, as we feel a calling in our heart to go out and to do missions, you know, whether that's in our local community uh, or, or overseas, Father, we just thank you and praise you that your Holy Spirit is with us, empowering us, giving us the words and the ability and the wisdom to minister to others and bring life to other people, wherever that may be. I just want to pray over the people that are listening that they are um, encouraged to step out in faith, that, Lord, that you would remove from us this fear of man. Your, your word says the fear of man brings a snare. And so, Father, we just, want to, we just want to break off this fear of man that keeps us from stepping out into doing the power, to doing things that bring other people closer to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would break that off us and that you would teach us how to walk in, in power and how to walk in victory and how to walk in confidence with you. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you for the people that are going to go on the mission trips, that their heart has been stirred up for this thing. Lord, we thank you that you're going to provide everything they need. We thank you and praise you that you're going to speak to them and give them wisdom over where to go, what to do, uh, what to say, when to speak, when to remain silent for divine wisdom, Lord. We thank you and praise you that you are our father, you are our healer, you are our provider in every sense of the word. You're going to provide for us here. You're going to provide for us there. The angel of the Lord encamps all around us because we fear you. And we just thank you and praise you for it, Lord. I thank you for um, the lives that are going to be touched through these missions trips and through these local missions. Um, The people are going to come into your kingdom through the work and through the obedience of these listeners and through us. And we just thank you and praise you that we can partner with you on your adventure. We can partner with you on your heart. And Lord, we just honor you. We just consider it the greatest honor to be uh, someone who can be an ambassador for you, that we can represent you. And even though we don't represent you perfectly, nobody, nobody does, you know, it's okay. We're bringing a part of you into someone else's life and we're bringing life to other people. And Father, we just praise you and thank you in advance of the signs and the wonders, the miracles, and just the wonderful manifestations of your goodness to other people. And so I just pray a blessing on our friends today, that they would know what you've called them to do, that they would hear your voice, and that they would have the faith, they would have the encouragement, they would have the strength to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Justin, thank you so much for joining us on the Unstoppable Podcast today. It was my honor to interview you and about your trip uh, to Kenya. And as always, uh, continue doing the good work of the Lord. Guys, if you want to support Justin and Jenny and what the Unstoppable Podcast is doing, just continue listening. I know they have several ways that you can partner with them uh, financially. Because uh, it's not free to do what they're doing. There's costs, there's logistics, and uh, they are impacting the nations for the gospel. And so uh, just encourage you guys to continue to sow into this ministry, to sow into what they're doing, uh, and you will be blessed. Amen. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> we'll see you guys on season two. Thank you for listening to the Unstoppable Podcast. For more resources, including previous episodes, blogs, and free downloadable content, visit us at unstoppableblog.net. You can also find us on Facebook at Unstoppable Blog. We hope this podcast has encouraged, equipped, and empowered you with meaningful insight from the Word of God to receive His promises and live a life without limits.